Hi, and welcome to the Creative Creator Radio Show on CKLU 96.7 FM, a show with a mission to showcase and share the work, wisdom, knowledge, and attitudes of the people who are shaping our creative world. With their work, they challenge and inspire perceptions, making our everyday lives not only possible, but beautiful and interesting. All this and more can be heard every Friday from 4 to 5 p.m. on CKLU 96.7 FM, or by listening to the online archive at www.radiocrater.wordpress.com where all original show content is available for streaming and download. If you listen to the show, you might know that I am planning to pursue architecture as a subject of my post-secondary studies. So naturally, I thought it would be a good idea to speak to an architect who's working here locally in the area to see what more I could find out about this field of work and how it relates to the area. After contacting a prominent architecture firm here in Sudbury, Yellowega Belanger Architecture, I was referred to Amber Salich, who has received both a bachelor's and a master's degree from Carleton University and now works as an intern with the firm. She has taken key roles in a number of projects, such as leading the renewal of the Sudbury Secondary Building, as well as working on the South End Public Library and the Librairie du Nouvel Ontario. Uh, Amber's quite young in her profession, so hopefully along the way she can tell us a bit more about other projects she's worked on. So, hi, Amber. Hello. So, can you tell us a bit about what the average day for you is as an architect? The average day is pretty varied, uh, to be quite honest. It ranges anywhere from doing design work to having client meetings to being on construction sites and dealing with contractors to project managing different types of projects and consultants. It, it, there's just a, a real variety of what you do day to day, and it's always changing. And would you say that any artist or engineer could pursue architecture, or is it something that's specific to a certain type of person that has kind of mixed skills? Or It's certainly good to have mixed skills, um, and certainly if you're a dedicated individual, whether you're a creative person or more sort of technical, because architecture is so varied, um, you can you can focus your, your sort of energies and directions in different venues. But I would think that one of the most sort of key traits of somebody who's wanting to pursue architecture is to A, love it, um, and B, to be really dedicated to it. Those are sort of the key traits. So whether you're an artist or whether you have technical skills, it's really good to have both and be a really dedicated individual to the profession and to architecture in general. Um, in speaking about architecture, would you say that there's a bit of an overemphasis on the art portion of it because it's kind of what defines the job a bit separate from like just typical engineering? Well, that's interesting. Seeing as I'm still an intern and I graduated about five years ago, I've really noticed a big shift um, because in school you focus a lot on the artistry and creating, you know, really livable, workable, but beautiful environments. And that's what a lot of the focus is on in school, at least it was for me. Um, and it still is the case, but there are just so many other aspects like budgets and engineering and dealing with clients and so I would say that it's you know 50 50 in in the end you're really striving to make beautiful buildings and buildings that people want to be in and feel good in and and um want to want to spend their time in these places and environments is there such a thing as neutral architecture or is there always some underlying message being put forward by what you put into your work I would definitely say that there is um, some neutral architecture and maybe that could 
be, you know, personally, I don't want to produce neutral architecture, but um, maybe you could sort of imagine the more sort of ubiquitous type buildings as being a bit more neutral. Um, maybe big box stores. They always have a, a purpose, and whether the purpose is to be more functional or whether the purpose is to draw people in or um, to, to have a beautiful environment, I, I would say that you know, sort of the more ubiquitous things and, you know, on your day to day, the things that are a bit more um, mundane and repetitive and uh, don't sort of pique your interest as a as a individual just walking by a building, potentially that would be neutral architecture. But there is always sort of um, an underlying uh, concept and it could be so many different things. It really has to do a lot with um, what the owner and the client wants you to help them sort of produce and then in turn and then in turn convey. For yourself, what is the greatest reward of pursuing a career in architecture? <laughs> um, well, it's it's it is a very very rewarding career. Um, it's a tough career, and so I think at the end of the day, it's being really satisfied with um, a design that you've done and making it work and and seeing it through to fruition. To you know, I just drove by the South End Library, and although the project's had a lot of ups and downs and it's been challenging, to see it you know really come together, and then once you see people start occupying it, you're like, wow, okay, this is what it's really all about. And do you think that the nature of the field of architecture has something about it that allows you to keep a fresh frame of mind, even for people who've worked in it for a long time and have had a lot of experience with it? Definitely, definitely. It's always evolving. I mean, whether it's through architectural theory and practice, um, you can just look through an, an architectural history book and see how it's constantly evolving and um, evolving with sort of humanity and 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 the times um so for myself even starting architecture school about uh oh gosh 10 10 12 years ago um it's my mind frame from then to now is just completely different and a lot of it has to do with um you know the internet and traveling and there's just always so much that you can take in and then apply to your to your work and to your day-to-day Working in the field of architecture, is there always a lot of spillover between your work life and your day-to-day -day life? Is that like a positive thing? It is my life. <laughs> and, um, you know, I know that you're applying to some architecture schools and you're going to see within the first year that it's pretty consuming. I mean, it's A, it's all around you all the time, everything. Like you can, I'm looking at this countertop and I'm like just little details. So, and, and... It's difficult in the sense that you're having to produce a lot. So, you know, for myself, and I mean, I'm still really young in the field, um, and I have, you know, amazing bosses at YBA that allow me to see a project right from the beginning to the end, but you're always thinking about it. You can't leave it at work when you go home. At least I can't. Um, I do a lot of my design work in the evenings um, because during the day you're doing a lot of project management, dealing with contractors, calling you all the time, consultants, owners, um, clients. So it is pretty all-encompassing and consuming, but 
in this, it's amazing because, you know, I'm planning a trip this spring to go, um, I don't know where yet, but somewhere, probably Europe or who knows, um, to go and, you know, do architectural tours and just to go and soak up different sort of environments and, and, and cities and see how, you know, it, it, it just really is um, something that kind of takes over. <laughs> And you'll really, really get a sense of it when you start school. It, it, first year is is tough, and they do it on purpose. They want to see who's dedicated and who's willing to go above and beyond and do many, many um, sleepless nights, getting ready for studio crits and stuff. And so, and in all honesty, it really sort of translates into um, into your career. I mean, there's a lot of different um, disconnects. But uh, in that sense, being motivated, having a really good attitude and just always wanting to to do more um, and being sort of connected to the city that you're from and and wanting to uh, wanting to make good architecture. So you mentioned like attitude Um, to be an architect is raw talent a primary factor or does each person have an individual kind of attitude or habits that will lead to their success? regardless of what others might judge their talent to be? If I'm understanding the question properly, attitude is really important. And I mean, yeah, raw, raw talent is is something that is not necessarily a necessity, but it certainly helps. Um, you know, even when you're putting together your portfolio, you're going to be showcasing your drawing skills, your photography skills, your, your ability to sort of see the world through a different lens type thing. Um, so, yeah, raw talent, and I mean also having certain skills, certain technical, mathematical skills, um, artistry skills, business skills. Um, yeah, I mean, it all helps, but a lot of it has to do with being motivated and having a, a really sort of um, a curiosity all the time and, a, and an attitude to always want to do, to do your projects well. What would you say are the main responsibilities that architects hold to the larger society? Well, um, as a member of the Ontario Association of Architects, there's a mandate and an Architects Act, and that sort of talks about our responsibility. It's a, We're a self-regulating association of professionals. Um, a lot of it is uh, health and safety. Um, we're bound by things like the Ontario Building Code. We're bound by, um, you know, municipal sort of bylaws and zoning bylaws and mandates like that. Um, so there's that sort of side of it. And then there's also the responsibility of the ar- of architects in general to um, be sustainable, uh, to try and design buildings that are... Um, sort of reflective of the environment that they're in and the people that are trying to use them and you know it's really about you know the health and safety aspect of it and a really good balance between that and uh, creating sort of healthy spaces and happy spaces (laughs) for people and beautiful spaces and I, I think it's it's there's a lot of responsibilities in a lot of different ways and there's those two main aspects What kind of materials, tools, and technologies are most commonly used by architects on a frequent basis? Aha. 
You know, it's funny. It probably differs from architects to architects or from firm to firm. Um, I would say a pencil and paper <laughs> and lots of trace paper. Um, in school, you do a lot of modeling. You do a lot of photography, multimedia, that type of thing. And all of that actually translates and follows you into your career. Um, then there's a lot of programs and software. So to create what we call working drawings, which are what a contractor would bid on to to get a job um, and in that case we would use we use AutoCAD and that is essentially drawing all the bits and pieces of the building sounds complicated and it is um, to show somebody how to build the building properly how it comes together in terms of life and safety how it comes together in terms of nuts and bolts and so there's the the whole that software side of things and then there's 3D computer modeling and rendering software to sort of in, in the design phase of a project to um, give a vision to a project um, so I mean there's pencil paper there's computer programs and there's you know photography and there's a there's a lot of different materials. That's what's so awesome about the profession is that I mean, this morning I was at a demonstration at a new school for how to use all of the AV equipment, and so it's just you're constantly learning about everything around you. It seems, and uh, and so in that case, there's just so many different tools and materials that we're always using. How much of an architect's time is spent in a studio and doing that sort of work as compared to research? And is there an ideal ratio between the two? And maybe that's misrepresented in the school or not. I don't know. It really all depends on what kind of firm you're working for or what type of career you want to pursue. I mean, I have a friend who is an architectural professor. He... Um, just received his PhD and he does a lot of research and you know that w I would say is mostly his focus now there are a lot of firms that um, are doing you know always just doing design competitions and a lot of the times their their work is actually never built but in those design competitions they're constantly coming up with um, new ways to use materials for buildings, new architectural forms. So, and especially with now computers, it's it, it's crazy all the different things you can do. So, I don't think there's an ideal ratio um, in terms of me researching a lot of it because I'm we're we're you know designing buildings um, on but on certain budgets, which you don't learn a lot of in school, <laughs> which has been a really sort of big hurdle for me because you have these like grand visions and then you get a budget and it's just like, uh, okay, now what am I supposed to do? So that's been a really big challenge of mine. And so, I mean, in terms of researching for me, um, I just like seeing what's new and out there and uh, a lot of materials research. And for me, Everything is a really still a really big learning curve, so I guess I'm learning and researching all the time, just a sort of different venue. How important is um, the way you present your portfolio and having a portfolio in terms of making a career for yourself in architecture? And it's really important. Um, there are definitely you want to showcase a your talent be your craft and by saying craft it's really your um, 
making like when you're building a model or you're putting together a portfolio it's got to look really professional really crisp clean like you've put a lot of time and effort even on just the layout um, and you can really see that uh, versus you know a not so well put together portfolio so there's the content side of it and there's also the presentation side of it and because in architecture you're constantly doing presentations and constantly showing your visions and your ideas that it's extremely important and you'll you'll see that when you start you know just your portfolio to get into school um, you want it to look as professional as possible and and um, it really shows if you have this like awesome content, beautiful drawings, beautiful photography, and it's just all kind of slapped together. It says something because you constantly have to have good craft and and make things very um, presentable and neat and slick and shiny and you know um, make it look like you put a lot of effort and thought into it. Working at Yellowiga Belanger Architects, you're working alongside a lot of people with a broad skills base. How important is that to you and how you conduct your work, that you're surrounded by people who have a big variety of qualifications? It is beyond important. I mean, I'm working at a firm that's been established here in Sudbury for since the 60s. And I mean, some of our um, on-site people who would be sort of our construction managers have been in the field for like 20 years so I mean I'm constantly asking questions so there's you know me being the intern architect and I'm working alongside one of the partner architects then there's the uh, technicians or the drafts people who you have to pass everything along to them so that they're able to complete the working drawings as you're doing uh, the specifications and finalizing the design and coordinating all the consultants and and then, so there's the technicians, there are specification writers, there's administration, there's engineers. It's You have to um, be receptive to all of your um, coworkers, and you have to work as a team, and you have to surround yourself with, at least I certainly have to, surround yourself with... Um, people with a lot of experience and uh, people who are willing to teach you because quite honestly you know when I started working at YBA I was still finishing my thesis and didn't have a lot of um, uh, uh, practice work and um, I'm really where I'm at because I've had a solid uh, group of co-workers who've really helped me along the way. At your firm, how is it? How important is it to you that you're able to communicate in both French and English for your clients? And was there any, ever any challenge? Because I think Carlton doesn't offer the architecture program in French. So was that like? Was there some discrepancy there? No, I mean I'm not. Um, I'm not bilingual. I hope to be soon. Um, but it is an advantage for our firm. Louis Belanger, one of the partners, he. He has a lot of French clients, French school boards, you know, we, the Librairie du Nouvel Ontario, things like that. So it, it really is very important. And um, I would say 75% of our staff is bilingual. And I don't know if that's the case for any other firms in Sudbury, maybe somewhere else in Northern Ontario. But um, I mean, for me, it's not huge, but it's, you know, as I move forward, I, I, I know that I should be... Um, 
sort of maybe perhaps following Louis' steps and being able to have those clients being a French-speaking person because they, I think a lot of those clients really appreciate that fact. How varied would you say are the clients you work with? Very varied. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anywhere from, you know, a homeowner to doing, you know, a residential project, which we seem to be doing quite a bit of right now, um, to uh, business owners, to representatives from the city who are sort of managing and running a project. Um, It's really varied. Um, Client attitudes are really varied. um, And... I would say one of the main challenges or one of a very big challenge is client management and keeping your client 100% happy all of the time. And it's really, really tough to do that because, um, you know, you make one little m- mistake in your drawing and it could cost the owner ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. I mean, it, it's really crazy. And that's a really big challenge. Uh, certainly it is for me. And I, I would say that it is for almost every architect. So lots of different kinds of clients, lots of different types of attitudes. Um, and it's really sort of managing them and keeping them 110% happy and satisfied and knowing that you're working for them um, 110%. And in that respect, is it Uh, Does it almost come down to being a collaboration between you and the client? Oh, definitely. Um, Collaboration? Yeah, I would say so. I think that's a good word. Um, Because, you know, you have to lead the project, but you have to let the owner have input and say, and they they will. They'll come to you with, you know, this is my budget and this is what I want to do. And so you start working with that and then you go back to them and say, this is what I've come up with. And if they say they don't like something, you know you got to be receptive to it and you know you may really like it and it's kind of tough sometimes to you know work on something for days and then present it to a client and them say they hate it Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so it's kind of tough that way but yeah you have to be collaborative with your client and you um have to let them have input and say and be receptive, even if what they're saying is totally out to lunch and totally is not within the budget. I mean, like, clients often don't have a concept of budget, so, you know, they want to build a $2 million house on a $300,000 budget, and it's like, okay, teamwork here. we got to figure <laughs> out how we're going to get to the $300,000, because by all means, I'd love to design you a $2 million home, but that doesn't happen too often. And you mentioned, like, at Carleton, how there was um, not so much teaching on how to work within a budget. Do you think that that was, like, a failure on the part of the program, or is it just something about the program? Like, um, I wouldn't say it's a failure. I would say that, you know, as a student, you want to be sort of free and unconstrained and be able to, you know, follow through this wild concept that you have for a new sort of um, (laughs) type of architecture, a new type of um, building or environment. And so I definitely wouldn't say it's a failure. And certainly when you get into the old, your sort of later years in school, you do learn about professional practice. Um, But really you don't get a very good sense of it at least I didn't until you're in the field and actually doing it 
Working on any given project, do you often come across ideas that seem especially difficult to communicate with clients? And are there are some common tactics that you might use to overcome these challenges? Just an idea that seems like, I don't know, that it's not getting across to them, like going between something that's visual or written. Like, do, yeah. you, do you often have to justify something visual with an explanation for them? All the time. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, probably not to the sort of extent that you're thinking. I would more sort of say with the... Uh, smaller things but you're all you always have to justify what you're doing to the to the client and you know whether it's how you cite a certain building on a on a property and they're like well why is it you know facing this way and not this way and so you always have to have a rationale there's a reason why you did it um I guess sometimes maybe when it comes to technical things, you know, why is that pipe there and this pipe not there? Well, this is because this and that, <laughs> and there's a duct running this way and a beam interfering. So, I mean, yeah, and a lot of the times clients don't see it or, or can't visualize it until they see it and it's done, right? So you've explained it to them, <laughs> you know, three times, but until they actually see it and they go, oh, okay, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> you're like, oh. Well, that'll cost you $3,000 to fix it <laughs> from the contractor. Yeah, so it's crazy. It really is. How much of working successfully in architecture is about compromised as opposed to just really being fixed on your initial vision? And is it important in every project that at some point you outgrow your original vision, no matter how much you might have liked it at first? <laughs> um. Yeah, there's a ton of compromise. Um, and that's going, you know, a lot of the times it really has to do with um, money. Uh, it really does. Um, you, you can dream and have these visions of, you know, this beautiful, beautiful building or streetscape or whatever it is. But um, if the budget doesn't allow it, then you have to compromise your vision. Um, and if the client doesn't like it and you have the money and they have a totally different vision, um, it's tough. And, you know, like historically, a lot of architects wouldn't compromise. And a lot of those architects are like the Frank Lloyd Wrights and the, 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 the people that had a very strong vision and would see it through. And they would seek their clients a lot of the times where like we don't really have that luxury. I mean, I'm not going to say no to one client um, you know, sometimes it does happen, but you know, it's it's the the profession is there's a lot of ups and downs. It it follows the economy a lot, and so you can't be too choosy with your clients, and uh, and therefore, yeah, there's there's a ton of compromise. That's a good word. <laughs> so, do you think that for yourself, maybe that you don't have as much choice as the artists who really get to pursue their vision? Is that just something about where you are specifically right now in the progression of your career? Like, do you hope to like be designing museums or something that <laughs> allows more? Um, I don't know. I, I I like where I'm at here in town in Sudbury. Um, I really think it's how you want to run your profession, your practice. I mean, and how you want to be as an architect. Um, but I think the big challenge is is coming up with a design or a vision that you're 100% or 110% happy with regardless of all the constraints. Um, so it's really about 
balancing and that's the biggest challenge is okay you have a vision um and you want it to be conveyed and you want it to come across and you want it to be built um but you can't do it so then you have to go back to the drawing board and you have to figure out how to do it within the constraints whatever monetary or physical constraints or municipal constraints or whatever so it's that that's the big challenge you always want to maintain your vision and and it's really hard but and i don't know if it has to do with uh where i'm at but per se i think it's a, i think it's a challenge that's going to follow me from now until uh retirement <laughs> <laughs> How crucial is the process of sketching in the day-to-day -day work of an architect? And has the dominance of computer technology changed this in any way or shifted the balance? I think sketching is beyond important. And I've just I've noticed lately, because in school, uh, you know, we did mostly hand drawings, at least I did. Um, we did some 3D computer rendering, but not like a lot of AutoCAD sort of plan section elevation type things. So... Um, Lately, I've been feeling as though I haven't been using a pencil and drawing a lot, and sometimes you get sucked into the computer screen, and I find it really limiting. For me, I can really get my ideas across by sketching on trace paper, you know, just, you know, coloring over my lines and tracing over them, and, like, you know, it, just evolving sort of uh, a concept or design or idea. Um, but... Some people work really well on the computer and designing that way. I do both, um, and I feel as though I'm sort of drifting away from drawing uh, on the uh, with a pencil and paper and that. So I'm trying to sort of get back to that. And but you do. I mean, I can't imagine starting a project without drawing something on paper, whether it's a plan or a massing or an elevation or, you know, gestural type drawings that talk about how you're citing a building um, on a property. For me, it's really, really important. And sometimes you get so sucked into um, your computer doing, you know, uh, AutoCAD drawings and working drawings, and then you're trying to come up with a design and I'm in AutoCAD trying to come up with this. I'm like, what am I doing? Turn the computer off and go, you know, work at a draft your drafting table or whatever, your sketchbook. And so it's really important. And how about just like actual physical model making? Is that is that of any importance or is it all digital now? I think it's a lot, like a ton of it is digital. Um, we do a lot of 3D computer rendering, but I absolutely love building models i find it really informative i was working on one last night actually for a house that i'm doing and it's like i kept drawing something i kept drawing something and i'm like oh my god i can't figure out this roof line you know took out my cardstock started fiddling with it and i'm like boom i got it okay so it's really helpful in that sense um and i still am totally in love with you know beautiful wood models there are a lot of firms that still do that and it gives you a lot of sort of creative exploration as well while you're modeling you do a ton of it in school and it for me was by far sort of my favorite part and that's where you really learn craft so you really want a nice model like no no shifted or offset walls like clean 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 um and so that's the sort of craft I was talking about earlier that 
translates uh, into your model building and into your drawing and into your presentation work and all that kind of stuff. But um, I wish we did a lot more um, physical modeling, but it's hard. And I think a lot of firms are doing a lot more 3D modeling. Um, and then there are a lot of modeling companies that get sort of contracted from firms to build physical models because you need a shop. You need, unless you're just using like cardstock and glue and that, like from quick maquettes and stuff to just figure out forms like what I was doing last night. But if you want to do really nice models and like not to mention there's CNC machines, routers, all those things. So you can design everything on the computer and then it physically builds you one, whether it's a 3D printer or laser cutter or so the opportunities are pretty endless when it comes to model building. It's really fun. Like you were saying that you were trying to come up with ideas by starting off in AutoCAD and that you seem to say like some artists or architects, sorry, like they're able to kind of work in a computer environment and generate ideas from there. But do, do you th still think that maybe they're constraining their ideas by working in that environment? I don't know. It's hard for me to sort of judge that. Um, like some of the people I work with... Um, one person in particular, he does almost all of his stuff on the computer and he's really successful at it. So I think it's just a matter of your how you like to work and I don't know if it's constraining them. Certainly it is for me and I would bet for a lot of people, but it's it's hard to tell. I mean, if they're always doing it. Yeah, and some people just don't have, you know, a great drawing ability and so things come to life on the computer screen more than they do on a piece of paper. So it really all depends. What are some habits that you yourself keep to make sure that you can produce the work, like your best work? <laughs> um, I like to travel. <laughs> I think that's really important. Um, some habits. Uh, oh, dear. Just really keeping abreast with all of the uh, new sort of materials, what sort of really famous and avant-garde type art architects are doing. Um, they're always coming up with new methods, new um, new sort of forms of architecture. And so I think that is something that's really important, is just always staying on top of the world of architecture. And it's so easy with the net. It's just you sign up for newsletters and blogs and stuff, and it's the stuff that's happening is just so awe-inspiring. So I think that is a habit that is really necessary. Um, habit or sort of pastime, I would say um, I'm a pretty avid photographer, and I think that's really important too. Um, so, yeah, and I mean... I go to work in the morning, I usually come home at the end of the day, and I usually start working again in the evenings. I'm pretty dedicated, um, I usually can't get projects off my mind. <laughs> um, like I was saying earlier, they're pretty uh, consuming, and um, yeah, so habits is just to try and try and stay focused, but honestly just to try and leave it sometimes too, because it's it's, you know... It can it can be pretty draining at sometimes. Even within a firm where you're surrounded by many like-minded people, do you still ever encounter points where you have to, in a certain way, disregard the advice or comments of others, regardless of how much you respect them, and just go with your own sensibilities for what you feel will yield the best result? 
Yeah, sometimes, yeah. I think it's important to, you know, stand on your own two feet and be really confident in what you're trying to pursue. And no matter who's challenging you, um, and and honestly, you, you, you have to listen to what they're saying because it could be something technical where you know a, a building could leak because of the detail you've come up with well certainly you you have to <laughs> listen <laughs> to them but if it when it has to do with you know sort of the the overall design the materiality the form and stuff if you're 100 and 200% confident in what you're doing and you got to stand your ground but you always have to sort of be a bit of a sponge and and absorb what what everybody else is saying but i think a lot of it has to do with um yeah, just uh, being really sort of confident. Yeah. What is your most preferred and least preferred step in the design process? Ooh, um, my most preferred, I would definitely say, is coming up with the the vision. Um, I keep using that term a lot, but I mean, just coming up with the the building form and um, what we would sort of call schematic design. So, you know, how the building sits on the land, what you want, what you want it to look like. Uh, I think that's sort of my favorite part. Um, my not so favorite part would probably, it's kind of a hard question. Um, it's all really challenging. I think, I guess, working drawings and construction drawings um, and the management of all the consultants, because you have to manage structural consultants, mechanical, electrical, civil, and then about a hundred other types depending on what type of project. So whether it's AV, whether it's landscape, whether it's lighting, acoustics, like it all depends. Um, so that part's really challenging. And actually, no, I would say the worst part <laughs> is when you put a building out to tender and you're opening all the tenders from the contractor and it everything's over budget that for me has been uh really um makes my stomach sick because <laughs> you've worked on something for so long and you've you know you've budgeted it as best as you can because you have to pre-do all your pre-budgets in the office um so that part's really scary um but when the building starts to come to life and starts to be built and and you know that again is one of the mo the best parts too so it kind of comes around full circle when we talk about buildings that are put in place for the operation of large consumer companies for example big box stores or fast food chains do you think the growing presence of these in any way stifles or distorts our own local architecture and our sense of the built environment just being so surrounded by kind of mm -hmm. consumer architecture. Yeah, I guess that was sort of that ubiquity I was talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, there is a place for that. Uh, it's certainly not my uh, favorite type of built environments. Um, but yes, they do show our uh, how we're sort of connected globally. Like, it's the same building that could exist here in Sudbury or it could be um, across the, the, the world. Um, they do serve a purpose, and I do believe, yeah, that they are um, a bit of a hindrance when it comes to creating a bit of an identity for um, different cities or different centers or metro areas, and that they, um, yeah, but people tend to flock to them, so it's, <laughs> it's tough. Like, it's, 
It uh, it's sort of um, it's kind of the developer mentality. I mean, they're working, they're drawing in people, they're creating revenues, um, a lot of revenue. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's tough for me because I hate when those buildings go up. Um, I hate that they just put right on um, Brady Street those storage containers. Like it's just there's no beauty in it. There's nothing that makes me want to be around it and walk by it or feel good about it it's so it's yeah it it i mean if you already have an identity as a as a city um and you have good architecture no problem fine they belong in certain places but um when you're really struggling with that and they start to take over well that becomes your identity would you say Sudbury's struggling with that um a little bit yeah definitely um but i think with the school of architecture it will really help and i think i mean sibri's got an identity for sure like 110 percent um whether it's through sort of our iconic images being like the smokestack blueberries and the big nickel <laughs> um which i could stand to see less of um yeah it it, it is a struggle um and i think um and that's one of the reasons why I came back to Sudbury. Just uh, I have a strong affinity for it. I grew up here, and um, I sort of wanted to be a young, fresh individual who's kind of loudmouthed. <laughs> <laughs> what are some challenges that you think Sudbury specifically has to face in terms of improving our environment while still conserving what's worked so far? Well, um, the downtown master plan just came out, and I'm really excited about that. So I think that's awesome for the city, um, and I think that's sort of a, a stepping stone. I know that there's been a lot of plans that have been mulled over years and years and years, but I have a lot of confidence that this one's actually going to start making some some change. Um, the School of Architecture and... Uh, do you think the School of Architecture is going to have like an impact in changing the whole city's identity? Just having that kind of young people around who are conscious of design and those kinds of issues? Well, I think that's certainly the intent, and I think that's what will happen. I just think it'll be slow and long, but I, <laughs> I'm already feeling it, right? I mean, like, I've been part of Design Charettes. I, I'm not really... I'm not involved with the school per se but um, I'm on the municipal heritage committee as well so I, you know, I, I've been involved in different aspects of it and I and I and I see what's going on like there's street furniture that students came up and designed and built specifically for the city um, so yes I, I think it's going to be a unbelievably positive impact I'm super excited for it to happen I can't wait to see what the architects are going to do Levitt Goodman from Toronto um, I think they do amazing work and um, yeah I mean it's going to be slow but it will happen I have a lot of faith and that's why one of the reasons why I'm here too I remember hearing a talk by Daniel Lipskind where he says that because we consistently encounter buildings built in a similar conventional way, based on somewhat outdated design practices and constraints, just maintained by a force of habit, people start to see the world as though buildings really were intended to look like that. So um, would you say that the, the greatest barriers towards advancing architecture in an area is just within people's own perceptions and not so much bound by our technologies or what the understanding we have now yeah no definitely um yeah 100 percent, i agree with that um 
the more you're in it, the more you choose to be tunnel visioned about it, the more you choose to live in sort of a bubble about it. Um, that's what you live. That's what you perceive every day. And if you don't want to be um, open minded and you don't want to see and uh, take in and research and experience all of the crazy, amazing technological advancements that are out there and the new materials and the new sort of uh, ways of thinking about architecture, then that's you're going to live in um, a, a city with big box stores. What do you think is the most significant issue in architecture being overlooked right now? Wow, that is a tough question. <laughs> um, hmm. Well, for me, and I'm going to just talk about Sudbury, actually, I think that the struggle is, like, I'm on the Municipal Heritage Advisory Panel, and for me, I don't feel as though we're building buildings that we're going to want to preserve in 100 years. And and that is a really big challenge for me. I mean, we don't use the same types of materials. We don't build with, with stone that was quarried from the land. We build with... Um, just a lot more sort of temporary materials, fast fixes. Um, there's not a lot of sort of craft in in construction. You don't have the sort of craftsmen, masons. And it's funny, like most of the masons I see on site now are all old men. <laughs> that it, it just feel, and I'm so young, I sound like I've been in like this field for like 40 <laughs> years. But it's, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's just... Um, I mean, there's so many sort of material and material advancements, and a lot of it has to do with building cheaper, building faster, building you know buildings that we won't care about in a hundred years, and that's really troublesome for, troublesome for me. But a lot of it has to do with the budgets you're giving, right? I mean, schools are given budgets from the the, the provincial government, and you know you have a certain m- amount of money per square foot, and it's impossible to make to to meet those budgets and so in order to meet those budgets you know I can't have concrete block walls in in the in the school I have to do metal stud and drywall and within a year the students are going to be in there and the drywall is going to be bashed and cracked and it's just yeah so I mean those are sort of like the minor things but it's about creating architecture that we're, we're gonna want to preserve in a hundred years and that for me is really challenging uh, so it sounds like the problem there isn't so much in the mentality of architects, but more in how uh, things are happening politically and how the funding is. Yeah, you got it. It's totally like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunate. Yeah. Okay. So right now there's an ever-increasing emphasis on sustainability in architecture. Aside from being a trend at the moment that's really picked up, do you think the idea of making buildings sustainable will persist and in the end just integrate with the general approach to how we design? It probably has already, but... Yeah, no. It's just, why is it a trend all of a sudden? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it's a lot of it has to do with the media and sort of climate change and all that kind of stuff. And we know it's real. We know what's happening. We know we could be screwed. Um, And I think that that's a major responsibility of architects. Um, But in all honesty, it's expensive 
to build a extremely sustainable building. Um, and a lot of the times the client will come to you and say, I want a green building, quote unquote. <laughs> and you tell them, and I want it LEED certified. And LEED is, you know, leadership in energy and environmental design. And they give you different ratings on how green your building is. But in order to get that it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars just for the certification and so when you tell that to an owner they kind of get choked up <laughs> so i mean i hope that it becomes more integrated into architecture and i think that's totally the way that we're going the way that it's heading um i mean I, i've been working now for five years and a lot of owners talk about it. I mean, our office has done a couple of lead buildings. I personally haven't worked on any. So a lot of the times the owner will say, well, let's just design like we were doing a lead building. or a, um, But then it's so easy to sway away, you know, like mechanical systems or how, what heat you're building. So, you know, people want, yeah, I want geothermal. <laughs> and it's like, you know, like it's over at St. Denis and it's, it's awesome. But there is a really large upfront capital costs and in the end it pays off but for school boards for municipalities for health centers it's difficult to throw in all that money at once so a lot of it has to do with the type of client you have how much of sustainability happens outside the building itself like energy usage or like um how close it is to public transportation or like are, are those important factors yeah, definitely. Actually, you get points for, you know, having a bus stop near your building f for to encourage public transportation or um, putting uh, change rooms with showers in a big building so that people can bike to work and, you know, when they get to work, take a shower. So, yeah, there's a lot of that kind of stuff outside of the building. Um, and a lot of it has to do with how you deal with the land outside of the building. Um, you know, trying to maintain most of the natural vegetation, how close you are to the water, um, so there's no sort of leaking or runoff. Um, yeah, so it has to do with the building, but a lot of it has to do with the site and how you're connecting to the infrastructure. And um, yeah, there's a, it's all all-encompassing. How different is it um, in Canada with the demand for architects versus the supply? Different than, like, the states or different than... Well, just, like, the difference between the two. Like, is there an abundance of demand but short supply? Um, I don't think so. And you know what? To be quite honest, I think, like, somewhere in a big city like Toronto, I do, and from what I've heard, you know, I think it's a bit of a struggle right now because of the economy. So in that sense, I wouldn't say that there's a huge demand. And, uh, like, in terms of, like, the the average gender of people practicing, like, what do you think is the place of women in architecture? Like, has it changed a lot over time, like, from your own experience? Um, well, I'm usually the only girl in a meeting with either... <laughs> Like at a construction site, if I'm at a site meeting with um, owners and engineers and construction workers and general contractors, uh, I tend to be one of the only females. Um, it's kind of empowering. Um, I try, you know, I'll show up on site in my work with a work boots with my work boots in a dress, and it's like, okay, yep, uh, I'm. You know, it's it's good. It's really good. Um, it. I honestly feel it's pretty male-dominated, but it could be sort of 
because of Sudbury. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm still trying to find out if I'm going to be the first female architect in Sudbury, like, registered and working here. Like, there's not <laughs> a long history of it at all. So, yeah. but I, I, I think, I mean, like, in my class, it was 50-50 boys and girls. So, I think in bigger cities, but definitely in Sudbury, um, I'm often feeling like I'm one in a sea of men. <laughs> <laughs> If someone intends to become an architect, what would you say is the best attitude they can use to approach this goal? Um, kind of just touching on what I was talking about earlier is just being really motivated and dedicated and really curious and wanting to do good for, you know, just people and your city and your community. And um, I think like even community involvement and that kind of stuff is really important too. You get a sense of who you're building for, who you're designing for. Um, you know, I'm on the heritage committee. I, you know, worked on a community garden. I'm part of the community action network for Ward 4 where I live downtown. So, I mean, all of those types of things I think are really important and they all play into your career and your profession and your growth um, as a, as an architect. You're quite young in your profession, so could you shed some light on what kind of projects you've worked on so far since graduating with your professional master's degree, and maybe a few things, you, key points you might have learned from specific projects? Uh, okay. I Well, recently we've been doing quite a bit of schools. So I was just over at St. Benedict's for the grade 7 and 8 um, edition that was just completed. Uh, Holy Cross, which is just across the way, which is a K-6 to elementary school that I've been uh, working under my boss Louie on. Um, we're starting up two other schools for the same Sudbury Catholic District School Board. So I've been doing a lot of school work, completed Princess Anne Public School as well as uh, Sudbury Secondary for the Rainbow District School Board. So that's been the past sort of like three years. Um, and even before that, um, French River Municipal Center worked. That was pretty much my first project I worked on when I started about five years ago. A lot of little jobs, um, whether they're just renovations. Um, so everything from residential stuff to educational to health institutional to uh, retail um, to food, restaurant stuff. Um, luckily... I've been really fortunate to have sort of dappled in a lot of different things. Our office also does a lot of casino work for the OLG, um, mostly down south, but, you know, did Subway Downs and that, but I don't do most of that kind of work. Um, I also do a lot of proposals to get the work, which I, I, I do like doing. Um, yeah, so, and right now we're kind of in the thick of schools right now, myself and Louie and the rest of the team, and uh, I'm really, really enjoying it. How competitive is architecture from the point of entering into the education all the way to being employed as an architect? And what would you say to someone thinking of entering the field but perhaps intimidated or concerned by the level of competition? Mm. Yeah, it's really competitive, actually. Um, I think when I went to school, we were told that there was over... 760 some students applied and about 70 got in so it's really competitive um, and you're going to face that from education so undergrad to masters you got to do it again you got to apply you got to put together a portfolio um, you got to prove why they want you 
And then, um, yeah, jumping into your career is also pretty competitive. I think it's a lot more so competitive in bigger cities. Um, you know, I had friends who were handing out hundreds of resumes after school. And, you know, I came home, I came back and, you know, talked to two firms and, you know. So it really all depends where you want to go, what you want to do. The more sort of... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the more, um, oh, I can't think of a better word, but avant-garde type of architecture, like working, you know, for the Daniel Liebskins, the Frank Gehrys, the Zaha Hadids, the all of those uber famous, amazing architects, some of whom I mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like beyond competitive to work for somebody like that. So it's a matter of setting your goal um, and knowing what kind of work you want to do. Because like those people, like a lot of that work is a lot of research, a lot of um, uh, architectural theory on building and materials and stuff like that. So, um, but I mean, I don't think it would be that competitive to sort of get a job at a, you know, an architecture engineering firm that you know produces big box stores <laughs> you know so it really depends on what your goals are um on how competitive it is but in general i would say yeah i mean when you're working in the private industry and you're not publicly funded um you know you don't have a lot of firms that offer benefits or overtime pay or any of that kind of stuff because the bottom line is getting the project done and getting your fee for it um, and even in the profession, I mean, it's really competitive right now with um, the slowdown of work in Toronto. We've been really experiencing firms bidding on work in Northern Ontario, which is something that, according to my bosses, is, is pretty new of, of the past couple of years. So we are always having to lower our fees in order to keep the work. Oh, okay. Which, so, I mean, the RAIC, which is the Royal Architectural Institute of Canada, says, you know, your fees should be a certain amount, um, which is a standard, and we're, like, almost cutting them in half in order to keep the work up here. So, yeah, I guess it's really competitive in all aspects. What qualities did you have prior to entering at Carleton that made you think that you would be suited to be an architect? Well, I um, was certainly an avid um, sort of, I guess, artist, <laughs> um, drawer, <laughs> like I, I excelled in those um, areas. And I also really liked the mix of the business aspect of it because um, you're, you're, you're running a business. You, own, you have to own a business if you're going to be a partner or an owner. Um, so yeah, there was that sort of what you called raw talent. Um, I would say yeah, I've got. You have to have abilities and skills to draw, and but you have to um, sort of uh, be able to look at the sort of environment around you through a different lens. And so those are some of the things you want to portray in your portfolio. So um, and then you know I had good math skills, good science skills, just kind of general overall was good in school I mean I took the step program so you know I started did a little bit of drafting there and I mean it's nothing even close to what you actually do but it kind of it gives you a sneak peek into it um yeah so artistry sort of mathy tech skills and then the business skills you have to run a business 
Are architecture students exposed to a more enriching educational and social experience than many students in other academic streams? Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> I, I honestly, like, I, I went to Carleton for four years for the undergrad and um, lived in a house with a bunch of other students. And, I mean, I was usually at studio most of the time, but studio is awesome. I mean, first of all, you have tons of traveling opportunities um you have so many other sort of enriching things that you just wouldn't even have expected there's lectures from architects from all around the world that get brought into the school there's you learn how to do woodworking you learn how to do multimedia and photography you learn how to just do so many different amazing things and it's just really not like regular university you're not sitting in lectures every day you're not writing exams like certainly you are writing exams but most of your work is studio work you have your history and theory courses you have your technical courses but I mean most of your credits are for studio and so you're you're in studio 24 7 working on projects discussing with your peers your peers are criticizing you they're giving you ideas you're you know you're working there in the middle of the night and just it's yeah it's totally enriching and then people are always so curious what's going on in the architecture building there's you know you're building these full-scale models and yeah you're you're just constantly doing things that you want to do as a student as opposed to oh my god I gotta go sit in another lecture and then I gotta write this psychology exam and ugh you know what am I doing like when you're in the architecture building you know what you're doing you know you're having a blast and you know you're learning a ton and you know that you're um, you're you know if you've made it past first year you're kind of in for the long haul and it's beyond enriching it's makes me want to be a student again (laughs) (laughs) What made you choose Carleton both the first time applying for your bachelor's and the second time with your master's over other Canadian architecture schools or if you could study elsewhere? Yeah, um, I think I took Car- chose Carleton because I knew that it did focus on a lot of um, sort of the art- artistic side of things, which is what I thought. And yes, it does, um, or it did. Um, I think it had to do with kind of where some of my friends were going you know being 17 (laughs) that that does play a role um and I I liked Ottawa and I don't know I just kind of had my heart set on going to Carleton um and uh, and I'm glad I did I I am in order to succeed as an architect do you always have to be pushing yourself to work at your highest possible level in your time at work and in your lifestyle away from it it's not the kind of job where you are able to sort of um, just kind of slip by or let the time go by or you have deadlines you have deadline like I swear I live by deadlines <laughs> um, and they become um, what sort of they are one of the things that really pushes you uh, to work to your full potential you got to meet these deadlines you got to do it right you, you know you got to be happy with what you've done you have to be proud of what you've done and it really involves um, working to uh, your fullest if not beyond your fullest potential what are some of the challenges that you personally face in your work and what keeps you satisfied working as an architect yeah I think I talked a bit to that um, 
I think budgets are a big challenge. I think um, I have to sometimes step away from the computer and focus more on um, drawing and um, and lately my boss has been bugging me about what my signature is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so developing that and sort of developing how I want to be identified as an architect after, you know, five years of work, it's, you know, I've spent that time learning the industry, learning the profession. I mean, I, you learn every day. My boss tells me he's still learning things every day. Um, it's it's challenging through your education at carlton was there anyone you consider to have been your greatest mentor or that you feel you owe a lot to like say a professor or you know not necessarily i think that i would say the biggest mentors that i had during school were my peers um it's a really sort of collegial atmosphere where you're always learning from your your peers your fellow students and so that i don't have one particular individual to be quite honest um that uh, sort of helped me through the way, but I would definitely say my peers and uh, probably my parents. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. Great, thanks. <laughs>